0: Welcome to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Aberly. Today i got a very interesting guest on. I have Sherry Daly. She is the, I guess, the fourth ex-wife of the golfer John Daly. She has written the book Teed Off, giving us a nice insider look of the PGA tour. It's not what we kind of think, as she puts it, not all the uh, strange kind of outfits and so forth. And uh, maybe Tiger Woods is more the norm than uh, what we would think. Welcome to the show, Sherry.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: Hey, I appreciate yeah. it. It's a great book. Uh, did you read it cover to yes, cover? Yes, I did. I finished up the last uh, chapter last night, and uh, I was like, you know, this is pretty good. You gave a lot of insight, and you, you didn't downplay yourself, which I was really impressed with. You, you know, your, your situation, things that you might have done or didn't do came out as well, and, and I like that. You were honest.
1: Yeah, well, when you write a tell-all, you have to tell-all, because what you don't tell, someone will tell on you. Um, You know, in in TDOG, I just really wanted the truth to come out mainly about the stabbing. You know, that was just too much. I mean, I don't think anyone can ever say they have a perfect marriage. And John and I didn't always have a perfect marriage, but the first, you know, two years, it was really... Good. And then, you know, when he started drinking the liquor, it kind of, it changed up. You know, there were, you know, twice a year he would have a big fit or whatever you want to call it, like where he comes home and he's drunk and maybe pees on the wall in front of his mother or tears the house down. And I couldn't always... The good always outweighed the bad for, you know, 2001 to 2006. But then, you know, what used would happen twice a year became every week when he signed with Hooters. Because, you know, John admits in his own book that he is an alcoholic and a sex addict. So why would you put an alcoholic and sex addict at Hooters? But Well, now, I was yeah, gonna now, going to ask that.
0: Now, I did some, some checking on this because um, I heard it before. Now, it, it's out there on the Internet if you Google it, uh, John Daly Bipolar. Is it possible? I, I've done a lot of shows on bipolar disorder over the last five years. I should say a fair amount. He seems to have every symptom of it. Is, is that something that's that that's for real? Been discussed, or is he in denial? Sherry, that loser. Okay. <laughs> Just as I got to oh, the good Oh,
1: I'm sorry. Qu- I hit mute. Oh, that's okay. Okay. I'm not in, den- I'm not in denial about it. <laughs> no, I,
0: I didn't mean you. I didn't mean you. I meant, is this something well, that John's I, in denial about? No,
1: no. About? I'm not, I think I think he's in denial about a lot of things. Um I have a book called Toxic Men, and I think he's every one of them, so I don't know. <laughs>
0: so you read that one, Mike?
1: My... On, it depends on which day it is.
0: Yeah, my um, wife read that. Were, to, yeah, yeah, I understand. Did you
1: say you're a different one every day? Well, you know, um, there were three personalities I lived with. There, were John, there was John I married. There was J.D. J.D. is the one who can make Charlie Sheen look like the church mouse. I mean, he <laughs> can tear down a hotel room, and it would be an unrecognizable establishment. And then there's Johnny. And he was the one that was always so sorry for what J.D. did. And, you know, you just feel like I really always felt so sorry for him. And I almost felt like I had to babysit him. I always thought if I left him that something would happen to him and I would feel responsible. But, you know, I was 24, 23, 24 when I married John. Ten years later, you know, I realized that, of course, you know, money does not, is not ever going to be a trade for your husband cheating on you. I mean, yeah. you know, Rolexes, Harry Winston, Mercedes, cars—that is no trade-off for being miserable and someone being dishonest and not having any loyalty to you. Now, I will say this: mm-hmm. there were a few shopping sprees that every girl was dream much. Well,
0: I was going to get into that later on the, in the interview too, because I read that that was kind of like <laughs> uh, like penance or something for John to allow you to do that. But what I—two I quick, two things I want to get into here, real quick. Why did you write the book? I mean, when people well, write it... Well, yeah.
1: I wrote the book to clear my name of stabbing him. When we were at our mediation, yeah. it's like a divorce, like it's a meeting, a powwow, where the, he has his attorneys on one side, I have mine on the other. Mm-hmm. They delivered me a set of papers that were absolutely, you know, pathetic for what people think that, you know, someone would get after 10 years of marriage and someone make, you know. 74 million while you're married, it was basically nothing. But and I was fine with nothing. But he had to, written in there that I couldn't talk to the media about our life or or to, any time together. And so, um, so anyway, I wrote the book. And No, no, he had the opportunity to say I did not stab him. I said, I will gladly sign this. There will never be a book. There will never be any anything if you'll just tell the truth about the one incident. And he smirked me and, and kind of shrugged his head like, get a writer or, you know, good luck with that. And he didn't sign the paper. And so it was really strange. Two weeks later, I had a publisher. And, you know, I think the truth was supposed to come out because he promised when he said that and he was so drunk and did all that and then I let him come back home, we immediately to counseling and he promised that give him some time and his agents and everybody just don't talk about it now you'll ruin his contract he'll tell the truth later and later never came
0: well it's interesting you got into that because uh as i read the book i realized you know you're a pretty tough woman in your own right you've been through a lot uh you know living with with john was uh, one not exactly a picnic is what i read it you seem it seemed to me if you were going to commit such a, a crime so to speak of, of stabbing him. You would have done that a lot earlier.
1: Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. And that wouldn't have been my style anyway. <laughs> I mean Yeah, I, I thought knife. that too. He's a big guy. I mean mm. he couldn't get it with a steak knife. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what would that do? That was have just cut a little fat or something back then. I didn't want to eat him. I didn't do anything to him. And that was what was so crazy about it. I mean, I met and teed off when we first got married. Um, I had some kind of punch with the cheerleaders at Arkansas. It had, yeah. like, TGA punch or something in it, and I punched him out. <laughs> but I never drank any more of that ever again, and I never punched John out again or did anything. Like, we didn't go around smacking and hitting on each other like domestic warfare, that was, you know, occasional when the one time he did that, it was really crazy. And he was so out of his mind drunk, he didn't even remember it. And that's why I always ask people, you know, not to drink whiskey with John. Please don't send him shots because you don't have to go home with John and him tear the house down and break everything around you. You know, I'm lucky that I never got hit by, you know, a flying candlestick or a TV or something like that. And him, you know, mistakenly hurt somebody. Yeah, but, you know, John, yeah. and he really, if you read in there, I, he has a really good heart. Well, it yeah, when, when, when you, get, takes yeah. Over.
0: Once you get into it, you see that there's like like a three-time personality of John Daly, like you said. There's like these three different personalities. And, and there's the one, the one I like to hear about. I mean, I've been following uh, John since like 1991 when he kind of really broke in on the scene there. And it was... I'm not a big golfing fan, but I know what's going on. I know who the players are. And it it parts of me. Made me feel sorry for him. And I mean that like I really felt sorry for him. Not
1: Well, me too. You know. He's terrible to me now. And I still have the, I feel so sorry for him because I'm thinking he has terrible karma coming to him. He's not living right. He's being ugly. J.D. is a liar and a manipulator. And then there's still a side of me that says, God, I feel so bad for him. He's, You know, what's wrong with him? But, you know, you can't save someone unless they want to save themselves. And, you know, it was I really, I do have some regrets for staying around that long and putting my kids through that because no kids need to be around that or even know of it. You know, my youngest boy, here's an example. Um, I'm sorry, my oldest son. When we were in Texas uh, one time, John misses the cut and he was on, he wasn't, now he never drank on the golf course, but he was on a big hangover. And we got off of the golf course, and he destroyed the bus. I walked up, and when I was standing there, uh, me and um, it was Amy Sabatini's dad, Rory Sabatini's wife, we were standing because they had a bus, too. And we were standing outside, and all of a sudden things are just banging, banging, banging. And I'm looking at and thinking, okay, <laughs> glass busting out of the windows all over the bus. So I stick my head in, and he is literally ripping the cabinet off the wall, bust out. Like, this is when the Plasma TVs were like five thousand dollars each. Yeah, and and he was just breaking all. He broke three of them in there, and so my little boy, when I brought him in, he was like, "Oh, mom, how am I gonna watch my cartoons?" And I was, and I was like well, we're not going to watch cartoons today. We're going to go play hide under the covers. (laughs) And so, because we had to hide under the covers because he knocked the windshield out, the front ones, and the glass was blowing in until we could get to the bus place to fix it. And, you know, everyone just covered up for J.D. Well, I was going to say
0: that to you. Now, I I dabble in some bodyguard work a few times a year. So I'm around athletes semi-frequently, and I see what I call the kiss-ass people and the yes people. Uh, and, and they, they don't
1: to well,
0: and that's the problem, and I've been around it now for years doing this this side work of bodyguard work, and no one wants to pull the guy aside and say, look... This
1: is the truth. I I think this is in there. Did you... I think in Teed the final version, it was so depressing. After I put all that in paper, I thought, what was I thinking? But did you read in there when I was eight months pregnant and I was on the bus and he was so drunk out of his mind, he had pushed me down and smushed a cake all in my face and hair. And do you know that there were four, at least four grown men that I can think of their faces right now and one girlfriend. And do you know that not one of them tried to help me? They let him shove me off the bus on Interstate 40 and leave me there eight months pregnant and no one said, John, you know, you need to stop or John, you shouldn't do this. They all just sat there and just watched and just didn't do a thing and I was thinking, what is wrong with all of you people? I really felt like I was in hell sometimes.
0: You know what it's called? It's called No Balls. It's called Not Taking no. Responsibility. Look, I see a woman getting the crap beat out of her, whether she's nine months pregnant or a baby. I don't really care. I want to just step in. And, and like I said, I've seen it personally. I've seen the people who will just yes them because they, they don't want the money train to leave.
2: Mm-hmm. So they'll yes them exactly the death.
0: right. Yeah, they'll yes and I kind of want to go back a second. The question I did miss, growing up, where did you grow up exactly? And, and what, was, what was growing up like in your teen years before you met John?
1: I grew up in Cairoville, Tennessee, which is right by Memphis. Um, you know, I always had a really good life. Um, I, you know, when I married John, I definitely wasn't doing without anything. We weren't extremely wealthy, but we have you know, everything we wanted. You know, definitely middle class. And um, I was a cheerleader. Um, I had great friends. I was surrounded by nice people. I had no – I have no – bad memories of childhood or teenager. And, you know, when I got married to John, I had a really nice boyfriend. And actually, I, I took a step down when I married John. I mean, I'd always been on private planes. I'd always been nice places, but I always appreciate smaller things in life. Like I've always treated my trash man is just as important as the mayor, like, I always, I'm the same to everyone, I'm kind of like, I would describe myself as probably like the Ferris Bueller, friends with everyone.
0: Yeah, okay, I, I, I can get that one. Why, well, how did you meet John, and, and tell me, didn't the first three marriages kind of throw you at first, wouldn't that be like a warning sign, maybe, maybe this well, might not so be a good charming.
1: thing? Trust me, he was so charming, he told me about the three marriages, but you know, we all like to think we're special, and now, you know, now that I'm 35 and not 25, I, I would definitely take a different look at things, and, okay, I'm the fourth wife. I better reconsider this, but, you know, I'll I have to learn everything the hard way, and I definitely thought that I would be married to him forever, and I tried to be. I mean, he was, when I met John, he was just so sweet, and my my son was 18 months old at the time, and he loved him, and, you know, John was ten years older than me, so I thought any of his wild days were behind them because I thought when people get older they kinda of settle down. But with the money me. with the money came the fame and, you know, when John got married to me he told me, If you ever see me drink whiskey, you need to leave and so I always knew that in the back of my head that he didn't drink whiskey. He would sip on beer and stuff, and, you know, he would have too much to even drink when it was beer, you know, every now and then when he went home. But when his mom passed away, I passed him in the hall, and I took a drink of his cup, and it had whiskey in it. And I remember thinking, oh, John, we're gonna get divorced. Like, what is going on? And I remember my stomach just dropped. And he said, "That's not Jack Daniels. It's Crown." And so, <laughs>
3: there's a big difference.
1: <laughs> like, there was a difference now. And so here I am. I, I just want to believe everything's okay. And so I was like, okay. And you know, I told him I would rather not drink and stuff. But when he drank the whiskey, it was like a demon came out. I mean, after about two days, we would come home from the road. When we would get home from, like, say we went overseas, sometimes we were gone four months at a time. When we would come back to Arkansas, which I call it Darden Hell, because when he came there, everyone would show up with these big coolers. They would start drinking and sitting by the pool and drinking and drinking, and day one might be fun. Day two... He was getting crazy looking because he would wake up early and they would start going to the golf course. And, again, by day three, me and my sister-in-law just remember thinking, oh, God, what's he going to do now? Because he would run over the car with a Hummer golf cart or something. Yeah, I, I read that, too. He would knock yeah. all the windows out. But <laughs> like he would get golf balls and he would, in the house, he would put golf balls and knock the windows out. And it would drive me crazy. So, finally, near the end, I just stopped saying anything. And I would, like, if my friends were over... Um, I remember when I was looking out of the back of the clubhouse where his golf course is, he was driving the Hummer over my my Mercedes that he gave me for my birthday, and I just told him, I said, "Don't look, just do not look at him, don't give him the attention," and that drove him even worse crazy. But I just I didn't even say anything anymore. He. But- Out of um, seven, it was about seven or eight years of marriage. Hmm. He destroyed everything he ever gave me with a hammer. He took a hammer and beat up Harry Winston watches, Rolexes. He destroyed the car that he gave me. He he ripped um, all the shoulder. He ripped all my clothes out of the closet, and so it ripped one arm out of all of them. So I didn't have any shirts. I had a whole closet full of hundreds of things, but the problem was they only had one arm in them.
0: Well, you know, it, it, when I first started the book, Sherry, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I thought I was going to read, you know, uh, the whiny version of, of of a wife married to a sports player. But as I got further into it, I started to see you were young when you got with him. Uh, you obviously took your vows as, as personable as you could. And I always had this thing with, with, with Southern women. You, you guys know how to control and protect your men. It, you know, you try to oh, yeah. you really try. And I mean this in a good way. I. You know, I haven't been down south in a long time, but when I was in the military, I met a lot of southern women. There's a different way how southern women treat their men and how to protect them and cover up for them. But when you've had enough, you've had enough. And that's what I got towards the end of the book. You were done. That that was it. There was no more. We'll talk about it. I'll give you a second chance or a tenth
1: chance. I'll tell you, out of everything that John ever did that what hurt me the most and what would be a deal breaker forever if I would have ever gotten back with him as many times as I did is the way that he treated my son often because he raised him calling him dad. And when he left him that Christmas, when he came back, he has been, when, talk about protecting, when he left home and he was laying out on the curb at Hooters in the orange suit and all that, when that came on the internet someone called me, and I mean, when I pulled that up, it literally, it just made me start crying because I thought, what have you done? Like, this is, what is going on here? And so he, during that time, that's when he had been gone about, I think he was gone about 18 months and didn't even see little John. He only called a couple of times, and then when he came back, he got all these court orders. John gets anything he wants with the court because celebrities get They get preferential treatment. treatment. They do get. They do get that. That That'll probably be my next book. I can't say too much about that, but no, that's okay. When when he came to get little John, you know, I saw Austin on the cameras, and I said, Austin, he's not letting you go. He's already said you can't go. But he went out to the car, and I saw him say something. So I said, What did you say to him? He said, I asked him. Dad, why can't I go? And I said, what did he say? He said, because I have to spend time with Sean and Sear and Little John. I said, well, what did you say back? And he said, I just said, well, Dad, when are you going to spend time with me? Mm -hmm. And he gave him the hand and kind of shushed him and got in the car and slammed the door in his face. And my son went straight upstairs, and he got in his bed and cried. He would not open his Christmas presents until Little John came home. And to see my child suffer is just a whole different Ball game. It no, it just is. It's a whole different level. It is. And I just didn't think much of him after that. It really, that really hurt me. And as far as covering up, I remember one time Darius was, we were on the back porch, and um, if I would have been married to John or, or been with John at the time. He would not have been laying on the curb at Hooters. I would have had him picked up, hidden in the bathroom, all 120 pounds of me. If he weighed 260, I could move him because one time he was just sitting on the porch at this charity event, and there were, like, people that had bought golf teams and all this, and all of a sudden he's sitting out there and he just passes out. And I literally got my arms underneath him and got this other guy and got him inside in this bedroom and shut the door and acted like he was gone. And Darius later said, Sherry, how did you pick him up? I mean, do you have superpowers? And it's like, when you're in that life, you're you're protecting the contracts. you're protecting the person, you're hiding everything for them, and you're part of the cover-up team.
0: Sherry, we're going to roll into a break real quick. Here, we are talking with Sherry Daly, the former wife of John Daly. She wrote the book "Teed Off." I'm your host, John Averyly. Back in a few moments.
4: Tune in every weekday morning from 6.30 till 7 for The Brin Project with your host, Brin McHenry, who shares her show with interesting guests and topics. Here's just one example of the response we're getting.
0: That's a fantastic new energetic program, and I'm, I'm glad WCHE went that route. And I, I do believe she's got one of the most genuinely energetic and interesting shows. I've only been able to hear it a few times so far, but I, I am confident that's going
4: to stick. That's The Brin Project every morning at 6.30 on 1520 WCHE, the new voice of Chester County. Thank you
5: Sit anywhere you like, that booth by the window or a seat at the counter. Hi, I'm Libby, and Libby's Luncheonette is open and serving up local sustainability from farm to plate. We'll have home cooks' conversation, eats, and tips that focus on our local food system and how sustainable choices can positively affect our personal, community, and ecological health and well-being. You'll always run into friends and neighbors as well as the local who's who. Your calls are always welcome. And that's Ruby's Luncheonette, Monday from 12 to 1 on The Talk of Westchester, WCHE, 1520 AM.
3: Last November, Pennsylvania voters elected Tom Corbett to be the Keystone State's 46th governor. Now you have a chance to bring your questions or comments directly to Governor Corbett each month. Radio PA and Top Light Media are proud to present PAMatters.com, an online community featuring state headlines, reporter blogs, and Ask the Governor, where Governor Tom Corbett sits down with Radio PA's Brad Christman and Matt Paul to field email questions from across the Commonwealth. You can submit your questions or comments for the governor now by visiting pamatters.com or send an email to askthegov at pamatters.com. That's askthegov, G-O-V, at pamatters.com. Our first conversation with the governor is scheduled for May 18th, so send your question or comment today. Ask the Governor with Governor Tom Corbett is a monthly presentation of Radio PA and Top Flight Media.
0: Welcome back to Life Unedited. I'm your host, John Averly. Today, my guest is Sherry Daly. She is the fourth wife, divorce wife, of golfer John Daly. She has written the book, Teed Off, Insider's Look on How the BGA Tour Really Is. Uh, Sherry, I, I, talk about the ex-wives. You, you touched on them in the book. There's three of them, and you had to kind of deal with them. It seemed like kind of a
1: shuffle game there. Um, the first ex-wife um, I met, it was really strange, I met her, and I think we had been married five years, and we were at the racehorse track in Arkansas, and I briefly met her. She never, I never talked to her, had any feelings, because they had no children or anything like that. She was very nice, and her family was very nice. I met them. Um, the second one was the older older lady that was his, um, sec- let's see, she was second, I think she might have been older than him, but when we got married she was really ugly to me and um and I was just doing what John would say. He kinda of put the puts orders on everyone, like call the mothers and arrange this and that and I was just following orders and she called me when and she said something I remember the words, Before you were here and after you're gone And whatever she was talking about, I said right then Look, lady, just because you're old enough to be my mother does not mean you will ever have the opportunity to talk to me like that again. I'm going to let you go, and furthermore, I will not be talking to you for the rest of my life. Here's John. And that was the end of our relationship. And then the next one, um, she was always calling John in the middle of the night and stuff, and his daughter would come and she would tell me, my mom was on the phone with my dad, and he was calling her sweetheart, and you know, and all this stuff. And so, I don't really, I, I can't, I don't really know what went on there. I think that a lot of people stay on John's good side so that they can get what they want, and I think that they definitely were a couple of those. And well, I was I really
0: gonna, yeah, I was going to say at The hangers on. Now, what I was really interested in, because again, I've been around it and I've seen it from the outside looking in. The, as you like to put them, the skanks. Uh, the the girls who are there that are the basically the hangers on their, their well, sex. Well, you know,
1: I've actually named the groups of hookers since the
0: book. Okay, hookers, even better. I even have, a better. Four,
1: I have a four, four groups of them.
0: Okay, go ahead. Um,
1: you know, there's the golf you see on TV where everything is really calm, everyone's mm-hmm. preppy, and you expect people act the way they look. That doesn't exist. Then there's, there's one of the golf tournaments. There are the clubhouse hoes. They're the ones who are always there. They're have their members or they're with the sponsors or they're just the ones who are always there. Then there are the real prostitutes. And on occasions, like in Hilton Head, I had never seen a real prostitute. And they literally came onto the parking lot, and they were giving out some cards, they say, escort service. And so the security had to kick them off the of It was me and John and his caddy, and they came up to the car. And I, and I couldn't believe them. like, at a golf tournament, prostitutes? This isn't, like, what I pictured. Then there's a certain places in Memphis, Tennessee, used to be one, but it's closed now, but where the strippers come out to the golf course, and they have, like, these flyers in Dallas, I remember thinking, what is all this paper on the golf course? You never see paper on the golf course. And they're walking around in these big high heels, and they're dropping these little things that have, like, the name of their strip club on them. So I was I was really shocked by that. But my least favorite are the moneylisters. These are the hoes that go down the money list, and they do not care if the men are married or not. They will just go out to their tea time. They'll follow them around. And, you know, golfers are just like rock stars. If they want to get their number to someone, they can put it on a ball. Their caddy can wait around for them. If the girls don't meet them on the first day, they get got at least one more day to try to meet them, in 18 holes all day long, or then they might have two more days. And, you know, golfers have a long period of on their hands. They, they have – I think the temptation is worse for them because they can set up camps. You know, in a week, I had a friend that her husband, this is really true, the same time I was pregnant, our kids are about a week apart. Her husband called and said, I'm never coming home. She waddled her fat self. She had those really fat legs that rubbed together yeah. when they was pregnant. She walked around with her fat self, every hole. The only reason she wasn't at this golf tournament was because she had a doctor's appointment. And he met this girl and never went home. And she And he did not even go to the hospital for the birth of their child. She called me screaming and crying. I thought she was kidding. And she wasn't, and he, you know, he ended up marrying that girl. They don't have, they don't care if they're married or not. I mean, well, makes no difference. It's a, it's a good life for people who like to shop and spend money. Because you know, week to week, when we get to new places, there's nothing to do. And if your husband's making a bunch of money, everybody goes shopping and all this. And you know, for a while, that's fun. You know, if you have a husband that's being loyal and true. But you know, when they're, it's just, it's not even fun anymore.
0: Well, I was going to say, it. what's it like? to be married to a professional athlete I mean is it accepted as the norm that the chances are your husband's going to cheat Will you sit around with the other wives you know looking and saying look you might want to watch her you might want to think about this is again is it just accepted that the odds are against you
1: no, I don't think any of us accept anything okay. I mean I think some person asked me do you think Elon was turning the other cheek and absolutely we have a mutual friend and I assure you she was not turning the other cheek, and she was just as shocked as anyone about Tiger doing that. And, um, we, know, you know, those guys, they don't bring it to the golf course. It's off the course. They run houses. They have so much privacy. They can do whatever they want, and no one would ever know about it.
0: Do you think the uh, incident with Tiger Woods really has changed the entire perception of the PGA, also with your book coming on the heels of that?
1: You know, um, Probably so. I think so. I mean, but for some reason, it kind of bothered me that it was so acceptable for John because I know that now, looking back, I must have been living in a bubble. But I didn't think that John was that way, and it, and everyone acted like it's okay for John. And I think, well, why was it, why was he able to have all these ugly skanks, and no one ever said a word about it? But when Tiger has it, you know, they just go out of the roof. And John or Tiger were not the first people with girlfriends. I mean, if you look at all the people that have been divorced, I mean, we have a few strippers on tour, ex-strippers or third wives. I mean, it, it didn't start with them, and it goes back a lot further.
0: The lifestyle. seems like it's pretty easy to, we would say the word, get addicted to it. I, I liked how you kind of punished John for his mistakes or infidelities when you caught him. You went out and you went shopping. Tell us about a shopping spree.
1: It was retail therapy. Um, <laughs> it, that's what we call it, retail I love therapy. It. I love it. And, you know, it is kind of fun to just go and buy everything you want, but it's fun when things are good. But when you're depressed, I remember, like, finding this bag in my closet, and I don't even remember buying it. I must have been so upset just, like, doing something. And, you know, that's not, you know, healthy. I mean, I have to say I had some really fun shopping extravaganzas, and everybody would do the same thing if they had the choice. It wasn't because I was a gold digger. It's because my husband just won you know or actually my husband just won 600,000 and he just got a million dollar contract so I'm entitled to go do a little shopping because I'm dragging myself around the whole country, and traveling is not easy. No. Going week to week, and I traveled with the kids. I did not have a nanny. I didn't have anyone to help me because I wanted to change every diaper myself. Like I wouldn't let anyone else touch my kids' poop. And so it was really hard to keep all of that packed up and you know loaded and unloaded. It was a lot. People say, "Well, you never work." Oh. Being married to John was like having 10 jobs. I was a therapist, um, a house cleaner, you name it, a plumber, everything you can imagine I was on that bus.
0: I was going to say the bus. I almost opened up the uh, show with the the, uh, Magic Bus theme song because that bus sounds like it's been everywhere and done everything.
1: It's like a whorehouse on wheels. (laughs) I, I hate that bus. I hate that, but uh. I don't know. I don't know if it ended up in T. Dolph. Is the part in there about the the, t- the porn girl and he ended up on her website?
0: Yes, yes, with the picture. Okay. Yes. That yeah. I was
1: my. Well, I'm not really good with computers. My friend was calling me, and I could tell something was wrong because all of a sudden at Christmas, John said, "With you and your friends, I I know that they don't have a lot of money. I will get y'all tickets and you can go to New York for Christmas." Well. I called my friend. I said, this is really weird. I said, I don't know what is about to come off but he's done something because why is he being so nice? And so she called me, and she's, a, she's an Italian. She's kind of a, the hard shell when she starts crying. She's you've got to come over. Everybody in town is talking about this. Everyone on earth knows about these pictures except for you, Sherry. Yeah. So I go over to her house and look on the computer, and I mean, I just about died. So I called him, and he said, so you saw the pictures and I, and I mean I was hysterics. yes he was like I understand if you divorce me and so I was like I didn't know what I was going to do so I just me and all my friends the, actually the girl that was the one that had the baby and her husband didn't show up for the birth me, her and about four other girls we went to New York and I promised we spent about $10,000 on champagne and just having <laughs> ourselves the party of a lifetime we didn't buy any Christmas presents and, that's and so when event, I came back I gave him another chance and and another chance and another chance. Well, that's what
0: I was going to but... ask you. At, at what point, and again, I, I, when I started the book, I started thinking I was coming in very negative with you. I have to be honest, coming in very negative. And then as I got further into the book, I'm realizing this was a young woman thrown into a situation where it, whether no matter what you say about it, it's not easy being an athlete's wife or girlfriend. It, it just isn't. I've seen yeah. it, and, and you're thrown into this at such a young age. And then you get someone like John Daly, who's very volatile. I mean, let's his personality seems to be, like you said, Doctor Jekyll, Doctor Hyde. There might be a uh, Heidi thrown in there somewhere too. But, <laughs> Definitely. Uh, but you know, you, you, I gave I, I gave you that break as I went further on, and it, you finally re- what, did you reach the breaking point before you actually did it? Were you just waiting for the next incident, or was that the snap that finally happened?
1: You know, I always thought it was going to get better because I always thought. He's getting older. This is bound to stop. This has got, I always thought this would be the last one. And, like, with, with the porn star thing, I thought that was it because he was so sorry and he was so sincere. And I, I, I think he sincerely was sorry. And, you know, then he goes out and he's like, I cried. For, I really did. Every time I thought about it, I had these uncontrollable crying for about six months. I think I had to go get an antidepressant. Yeah. I had uncontrollable crying for about six months. And one day he finally said, Sherry, I'll do anything if you'll just stop You know, just stop. Every time we would talk about something, I would start crying about the other thing. And he brought this twin-turbo Porsche 911 convertible home to me. And, I mean, it was like a $148,000 car. And he was like, here, just take this, just please. This is it. This is my punishment. Well, then after he gave me that car, every time I drove it, it made me cry even more. So one day I came here and I had 2,000 miles. I was like get that car out of my sight. I cannot mm. be bought. You know, there's, that car does not make up for you humiliating me like this. So he got the car out of my sight, and I never saw it again. But that was when I was really past the being bought, and I, I would actually get angry at gifts. Well, and I, so it, it became really strange.
0: Well, I looked at, I looked at you, and, and you're a very attractive woman. I saw the pictures. And I wondered how much of a toll this took on you, your body, your mind, you know, being a parent, but then another part of me looked at it and said, how the hell is John Daly still alive? I mean, I know he, I remember when I'm he had, to, you, I don't know. Well, I remember when he had the breakdown back, in you know, '05 five on the golf course, he was sweating profusely and people were saying he was detoxing from the alcohol. But How is the man still alive? He lives a lifestyle that would have killed me within three months.
1: I don't know, but I spent many nights staring over him while he was sleeping because I would be so... And I, I went to nursing school for three and a half years, so I'm not saying that I'm really great medically but I did have a little bit of you know smarts about that and so I would be scared to call an ambulance because I knew that the publicity would be so bad and I was always scared he would be mad at me if something wasn't really wrong but then sometimes I would look at him and think what if he dies it's going to be my fault so I would literally sit up and watch him breathe all night long until he sobered up and I would be so worn out from it I really and truly can tell you, when I went to, I had to go to federal prison camp for 150 days. Yeah, we're going to talk about that, too. Well, I mean, this is really sad, but at the time, it was a vacation from John. I mean, I literally was so tired. I got more sleep there than I had gotten in about five years, and I really needed it. I mean, and, you know, it was a learning experience. I was never a drug dealer. My family were not drug dealers, and, you know, the prosecutor even acknowledged that at my dad's sentencing, Um, you know. It's behind me. It was, you know, it's something that you live in. It's another chapter of live and learn. I know a lot of things I don't, didn't know. And, you know, it, it definitely didn't kill me, and it definitely, I think, made me a stronger person. I, I have to say that I think I, got, I needed to be there just to have time well, you to did. think about this life I was living because I was going to end up dead or in an accident or something because he would drive so fast. And it was just crazy, and well, I really he, needed time to think.
0: Didn't he dive out of the car at one point on the road?
1: He did that with our kids in the car. We were going down the interstate, and he had been... At the end of our marriage, I like to drink myself. I mean, I like to have drinks. I like to have a party. I like to do whatever. But at the end, I knew that I could not drink with John because I knew that something was going down with him because he was so extreme. And so I wasn't drinking, and I was trying to drive us. We were driving some Hummer, like a... It was like a military vehicle that he had. And so I was driving, and the kids were in the back, and he was saying that he wanted to drive, and I was saying, no, you're not driving me, and the kids, I'll drive us. And so he jumps. I start. I noticed and I thought he was trying to open the door, and he literally was trying to jump out. And then the next thing you know, I got the car slowed down to about 30. He jumped out on the interstate and went over the little rail and in front of cars. I mean, my oldest son, Austin, was screaming like crazy. Little John was screaming. We thought he was, like, dead. And I tried to reverse all the way down the interstate in this traffic and picked him up, and he, like, went off into some, like, really bad, bad this neighborhood. I mean, it was complete, you know, the hood. It was like yeah. what you see probably on first 48. And, and, you know, at that point, I just drove the kids home. We got in the bed, and he called, and he said, well, you know, will you come get me? And by then I said, No. Call one of your friends that gets drunk with you. I'm not coming to get you. We're in the bed. Figure it out. I mean, it was just it got so crazy.
0: One of my favorite stories is you guys went uh, you went for a night of gambling. You won about fifty thousand. He starts throwing the money out the window, and then I like how you drove back in your night clothes (laughs) trying to pick the money up.
1: Okay, have you ever seen like Rob and Big that show on MTV? No, I'm it's like a little white guy and a bigger black guy. There's a little white guy and a big black guy. guy. Yeah. Well, I'm the little white girl, and I have a big black friend. Her name is Dale. She's like six foot tall. And I called her. I, after he threw it out, I just was, I was so disgusted. I just drove him to the house, and I said, get out. And I called her, and I said, I need you to get up. I said, you're not going to believe this. I said, but I need you to get me some tennis shoes, which I wear seven. They were probably like a size 11 of her daughters. (laughs) I need some sweats. I said, please bring some flashlight. I was like, this crazy SOB just threw $55,000 out the window. I said, that will put two kids through college. By the time they get 18, we're going back to get it. So... um, we, I picked her up and we started I was like well we'll start at the back and pick up all the loose flying bills and then I knew that three of them flew in a chunk. Well John was so dumb he came in and told the babysitter that he had thrown the money out so all of a sudden we're out there after we pick up all this stuff and the babysitter showed up with her boyfriend so they definitely got 30 grand because we combed the place. I got I recovered like 20 Three thousand wow. of loose bills. So you know I was definitely combing the surface because who throws money away? So he it was funny because the next day he asked, he's like, oh, "I need that money. Did you find any of it?" I said, "Yeah, I found five hundred. Here it is."
0: <laughs> I just read really you wrote that in the book. It's like <laughs> only five hundred. Yes. Here, here, here's
1: a 500 moron.
0: We're going like, to run into a okay. break, Sherry. Talking to Sherry Daly. Okay. She is the fourth ex-wife of golfer John Daly. She has written the book Teed Off. you listen to Lifeline Ed. back in a few moments.
2: Enjoy food, fun, music, and friends while supporting the good works of a great local charity by attending the fifth annual Friends of Safe Harbor Spring Celebration. The event takes place Saturday, May 14th from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. in the QVC Atrium at 1200 Wilson Drive in Westchester. The celebration includes live and silent auctions with items to bid on in all price ranges. Enjoy music, light refreshments, and complimentary beverages. Tickets are $75 per person, RSVP before April 30th, and save $5 per ticket. All ticket and auction proceeds go directly to Safe Harbor of Chester County. And if you're a WCHE listener, you know the good works of Safe Harbor. They provide shelter and encouragement for the homeless to help them rebuild their lives. And Safe Harbor has provided over 125,000 nights of shelter for those in need. So support Safe Harbor of Chester County, and we'll see you at the Spring Celebration May 14th at the QVC Atrium.
4: Tune in every weekday morning from 6.30 till 7 for The Brin Project with your host, Brin McHenry, who shares her show with interesting guests and topics. Here's just one example of the response we're getting.
0: That's a fantastic new energetic program, and I'm, I'm glad WCHE went that route. And I, I do believe she's got one of the most genuinely energetic and interesting
2: shows. I've only been able to hear it a few times so far, but I, I am confident that's going to stick.
4: That's The Brin Project every morning at 6.30 on 1520 WCHE, the new voice of Chester County.
5: Sit anywhere you like, that booth by the window or a seat at the counter. Hi, I'm Libby, and Libby's Luncheonette is open and serving up local sustainability from farm to place. We'll have home cooks' conversation, eats, and tips that focus on our local food system and how sustainable choices can positively affect our personal, community, and ecological health and well-being. You'll always run into friends and neighbors as well as the local who's who. Your calls are always welcome. And that's Ruby's Luncheonette, Mondays from 12 to 1 on the Talk of Westchester, WCHE, 1520 AM.
0: Welcome back to Life Unedited. Today my guest is Sherry Daly. She has written the book Teed Off about her ex-husband, John Daly, the golfer. Um, Sherry, my my, uh, producer here just gave me a note here. There's a drink out called the John Daly. It's sweet tea, vodka, and lemon. Are you familiar with that?
1: It should be the sherry daily. That's what I would like that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I don't think that's his, I don't think that's his drink. Um, I never saw him have one of those. Now I saw myself have one of those the other day, but I don't think he ever had those. <laughs> he would this. have like um, diet coke with like all crown and when he started drinking whiskey it would be like nothing but whiskey with a splash maybe of Diet Coke and then um, he didn't drink Jack Daniels as far as I know while we were married but I promise you I think the crown had the same effect
0: oh well I I will say one thing you you gave John a compliment and I'm going to bring up the compliment Uh, you said that he is very proud of being well endowed and that he had an incident or, or a moment with Tommy Lee on the infamous bus Where they decided to compare?
1: Well, you know, it seemed like everything went down while I was pregnant. It really started. (laughs) It was back again. I was pregnant, so, of course, I was the completely sober one that saw everything. I did not see that. though. I had gone to the back of the bus, and I was back there sleeping, and I, I mean, I heard a lot of racket and some laughing and carrying on, and so... When I went out there, I realized that's what had gone on. They had had a whip out, and I think Darius had said he wasn't getting in it and so they, you know it was a big joke, but they from what I hear, I guess they, they were like the same or something <laughs> um i didn't I didn't really see it I mean
2: that
0: is it was uh,
1: definitely interesting, but you know, oh, I love Tommy Lee, he was so sweet, I mean such a nice guy and you know all of those guys were they were always it was so funny because I think a lot of them always felt sorry for me like what are you doing with him he's crazy but they loved him and liked him but he was always trying to drive the bus drunk or something. It was just something crazy all the time.
0: It's the bus. It's all the buses. <laughs> it's sprawled.
1: the bus. I like, hate damn the bus. bus. <laughs> I mean, I'm really serious. I would get off the bus. I would refuse, like if he stopped to get fuel, and this is when he was not even drinking or something. I would have to get off and say, if you don't agree to you know go the speed limit I'm going to have to call my mom and dad and fly home because I am going to have a nervous breakdown if you don't slow down so I would have to sit and monitor like a policeman and make sure he would drive the bus over 100 miles an hour it was like a, a you know a this huge rocket and I mean I really had no fingernails and I think it definitely you asked did it age me everyone was always accuses me like did you get some work done and I was like no, it's called not having John around to stress you out every day. I can imagine it was, that. It was like babysitting, but you know, but then he was very lovable too. I mean, it was like almost like a child. You had to well, love the child. That's
0: the personality. Child. And if you're, if you're willing to, to to babysit him or baby him, that for, for, for any man, we'll take it as far as we can, just like we did with our mothers when we were little, until finally mom <laughs> says no more. You know, I, I think that's just yeah. in man's basic nature to do so. But sponsorship, you, you protected him a lot because of the sponsorships that he, that he was getting and that he had to protect himself.
1: Well, you know, it's funny. I never had control over John's money. Like, people would say, he made, you know, $500,000, this. those were. It was really weird because in my mind, they were just numbers, and it was about the winning. We would walk around, and it was so much fun when John was playing well, and to see him smile and happy because he's very hard on himself. And so it was, you know, him get a top ten, you know, every other week. I will have to say when I married him, he was 507 in the world. Hmm. When he was on my program up until 06, he was number 30-something in the world. Hmm. I mean, put all issues aside, the numbers speak for themselves. He made more money when he was married to me than he did in his whole career. And, you know, I would literally allow him, I would say, okay, if you make the cut and this and that. Then on Monday or Tuesday, when we get to the next stop, you can drink with the caddies. That's your drinking day. So he would pick one day to have his beer or whatever. And then after that, it was all business. We traveled on the bus just like it was our home. I cooked on the bus. I would go to the grocery store. And we tried to keep it as normal as possible. And, you know, me and him in Austin, we spent every day for years together. I mean, one year we didn't even come home for 30 days. Well, like, no, time. 30 days the whole year. Wow. And, and when we were overseas, it was like the vacation or the honeymoon because there, weren't, there was no one over there, the hanger-on, to bother me and John. It was like our time. We never got into a fight during a tournament or, you know, on the road. It was always when we came back and everybody's buying him shots and he's doing all that. And, it, you know, twice a year and then all the other six months be perfect. It was hard to leave. And so that's why it ended up being almost 10 years.
0: The um, what was I going to say here? The uh, when you when you're in that environment, and it's it's all kind of coming at you, coming at you, is there any was there any influence? I didn't read anything about John's parents. Were they in the picture? or Are they not in the picture?
1: No, his mom. She passed away. Hmm. It was uh, the day we were in Australia. The day. That I found out I was pregnant with little John is the day his mom passed away. Um, But I did know her. She was a very nice lady. But, you know, no one said anything to John. John, you know, was the hero. He was the provider. He was the boss. So even his own mother wouldn't tell him he's wrong. Now, his dad, on the other hand, he... um, And while we were married, he stopped drinking, and, you know, I don't know what happened when they were younger or his feelings towards them. but he's always, you know, been very good to me and my kids, but I don't even think that he could say anything to John that John will listen to. Because if someone says that something John doesn't want to hear, they get cut out of his life. It's like he never knew them.
0: Yeah, because they're not telling him what he wants to hear. Uh-huh. He wants to hear, he, you know, it's fine. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to cover for you. If I, you know, if I pee you know in the me, bed, you're going to change the sheets.
1: You know, my parents, you know, to this day, like my dad will get mad if someone talks bad about John, and he has put me through a living hell with this divorce and everything. And my dad still, because his feelings are so hurt because he loves him like a son. And I know that he's heard that, you know, John never even called him. You're with, around someone nine years, and then all of a sudden you just act like you never knew him, and he can do that. He can turn the other cheek and just be numb and probably be better to a stranger than he would his own family.
0: What's your relationship now with John? What's that like? I know you have to. You share you share a son. How is that? Is that is something you're in contact with on a semi-frequent um, basis or as, or as less you know, as possible?
1: Uh, I don't really. We, we're still in court and stuff, so I really don't like to say how I really feel. I you understand. can just imagine. Mm-hmm. But I will say this: we had. Um, I didn't need a huge house. That we had. We had an 8,500 square foot house. But the problem was, in that house, it was my parent had given us the down payment money because he had gone out and lost it all gambling. Well, he when he runs off, then in '08, after we catch him in bed with someone. He lets this house for close. so therefore, we, they never get their money out of it. Instead of, you know, putting it up for sale and doing things the right way, he let that go. Every gift he gave me, he destroyed, I think I told you that. Yeah. You know, I didn't need four cars. I had four cars. He took all those back. You don't see me crying. Um, so, basically, he took the money, the cars, the houses. Well, then, that wasn't enough. He has to move on to my child. And, you know, I really feel... Sad because Little John is his way of getting to me, and that's yeah. my punishment for not continuing to put up with him.
0: No, see, that's no and way. so
1: he's dragging Little John around being a school teacher, getting him behind, and I can tell you I'm very upset with the system, and to say <laughs> that I'm mad is such an understatement. Yep. I just get throw up in my mouth when I think about this whole deal and how it's worked out and how unfair it's been.
0: What I like is the the I read this last night as I was reading the final chapters here the uh, the last woman he had an indiscretion with where you were with him uh, you were shocked to see that it was a black woman because of, I guess, how the how he felt about that? I mean, did I read that wrong? It was a shocking yeah, because, thing you said. Yeah, because, you
1: know, and I used to always have a problem with him because him and a couple of his friends, they would tell black jokes, and I would say, do not do that around my kids. I don't want you talking like that. And I had some black friends, and he would say, every time I come home, do you have to have a house full of black people and all this? And I never really thought of it like that. And then when she was in bed with the black girl, it just shocked me, and the, I, he used the N-word all the time, and I told her that. I said, you know, I'm really, because she popped her head up, and I was not expecting anyone to be in the bed for sure. Yeah. Because he said the night before he missed us so much and all this, and I was going to give him one more chance. And this girl pops up and says, who are you? Well, I was like, who are you? And she said, you know, I'm his wife. He said, well, you know, he told me he was getting divorced. So I said, I can imagine what he told you, but I'll tell you this. This is what he calls you and behind your back. So you're laying in bed with some man who calls you the N-word. Now, uh, I'm just going to leave y'all here and I'm going to back on out of here. So that's the one I got her cell phone.
0: Yeah, that that was great.
1: And she had sent, who sends out a picture of their vagina?
0: Well, not enough women to me, but okay.
1: I do not want to be a gynecologist if they all look like this. (laughs) It was horrible. I was thinking, did she think pretty to send so uh, she thought you're it was so the pretty. Wrong I sent it to is. everyone in her phone. Oh my God. All the contacts, mother, father, sister, brother.
0: <laughs> my, my my, the and the they station. kept
1: calling me and saying she John kept calling me and saying, Sherry, you've got to stop. We're we're gonna get you arrested. You've stolen her phone. It's a felony. We're gonna call your probation officer. I said, Girl, I don't care, call Judge Biggers and tell him that I have the phone with your girlfriend's vagina in it and I'm sending it send me to jail cuz I don't care. I'm not quitting. <laughs> and it was like 74 or 64 contacts and they all got the picture the letter for me.
0: You have been able to knock over the owners of the station, my producer And probably the audience that's listening in the car. That was great, Sherry. That was... I I, I have a different take on it. Well, I have a different take on on how things look there. To you, it's not enough. To me, it's never enough. So there you go. I'm a man. I'm a man. Um, As we kind of close down here, the last segment, what's Sherry Daling doing now? What's, uh, What's in the future for you besides raising your kids and so forth? Sherry Daly is in the last round
1: of the battle with John to get little John back home where he belongs. And actually, it's so strange because I didn't divorce John. I divorced his girlfriend who orchestrates everything. And I'm just trying to get some peace in my life and, you know, get along with him. Me and him get along. But his girlfriend makes up all this stuff. Like, if this is an example. The last time we went to court the night before... John calls, and I take Austin Little John to his restaurant here in town. He wants me to bring them, yet he has a restraining order against me because I don't know why, but he asked me to bring him. So I took him and dropped him off. He sent me home a steak dinner and he because he knew that I had missed dinner because me and the kids were going to go, but instead I took him to meet him because he kind of popped into town. We were all so happy, like, everyone's getting along. We're sharing a child, and then the very next day, we go to court, he gets up there and tells all these crazy lies, and I'm thinking, what? <laughs> what is this? And um, it, it's just insane, and so I'm really working on getting some peace with that, and then I do a group that's called Women Standing Tall, and here's the bottom line. I have four kids. I have custody of two, little John Austin. I have Lily Billy that I have custody of, that little John Austin, if I, get, I don't have a doctor's degree or anything, so if I get a regular job, it's not worth the child care. Of, I would make about an extra $200 a week, so I would really rather raise my own children. Yeah. And the work that I do, I do things for free, and, like, I think it works out better that way. I'm a really good free worker, and <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. And, um, you know, just well, hopefully I know. I you're qualified. To yeah. get all these kids in college and
0: well, I think you're qualified yeah. psychiatrist, therapist, uh,
1: you know, mentor,
0: whatever you want.
1: Yeah. I mean, I took the disposal off the other day and saved myself $250 because I took it apart with the tools and got the thing that sticks in the meat like a little toothpick. Yeah. My neighbor was amazed. I so you mean, can do I what I have you have to the to do. talent.
0: No, my wife's the same way. She'll, she'll, whatever has to be done will be done. And, uh, I'm thankful to God with that, with her.
1: Okay, this is before we leave. I'm going to tell you one more project. Did it take a woman to realize that you do not have to buy a rake? I got the shop vac, and I vacuumed all of the leaves out of the flower bed. (laughs) And then I went to Sears and got a reverse blower, and it sucked everything up. It's like a vacuum cleaner for the driveway. That's incredible. It just gave me immediate satisfaction. So I do things like that.
0: Sherry, real quick, tell us where you can find the book.
1: Everywhere you can buy a book. Um, I look on Amazon.com. I know mm-hmm. it's on there, Walmart, Costco. Everywhere you can buy a book, you just put in teed off.
0: Excellent. We've been talking with Sherry Daly. She is the fourth ex-wife of golfer John Daly. She has written a book, Teed Off. You can find it anywhere. I suggest Amazon.com as well. Sherry, thanks for being my guest. It was a blast.
1: Well, thanks for having me. I hope you learned something.
0: I did. Thanks a lot, Don't Sherry. Bye-bye. do your
1: wife off. <laughs> thanks. <laughs>